ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. So in the lead up to the Olympic Games, when we were inviting the world in, there was a lot of discomfort. Melbournians as a whole suffered from cultural cringe. Melbourne wanted above all to be a modern city. And being modern meant having modern buildings. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Some beautiful theatres were just completely demolished. There was not much of the preservation movement at all. It was just... vandalism. So what should happen to our old and historic buildings at the end of their lifespan? Whether it be old factories maybe symbolising the golden years of a township or the heritage facades that could be at risk to be lost to developers. You just heard a little bit of audio there from the lost city of Melbourne and we'll speak to the filmmaker a little later in today's show. But what do we do with these buildings now empty? They once played a big role in our lives and our communities, either for work or entertainment. So do we restore or remove or do we just let them be? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Brett Worthington, political reporter joining us from ABC Canberra. Brett, I recently went on a huge walk around my old hometown of Maui and I was so surprised to see the number of abandoned factories that sat there. And what I was intrigued by was the visuals and the images and the stories that these abandoned factories told me about what that town must have looked like and what life for locals must have been like at the time. But now they just sort of sit there doing nothing and I just wonder what should be done with them. It's an interesting one where you imagine um, governments must look at them and think, okay, that's going to be costly to preserve potentially or is there an opportunity here that we could look to modernise this space? Uh, But what's that going to take? Because, you know, if you want to make it energy efficient and you want to improve it for a modern standard, this balancing act must must be a difficult one. But Sometimes they feel, Rochelle, like shrines in many yeah. ways, a kind of a period of time captured. Um, and then it's sort of about watching that deteriorate over time also tells you another story about how society has changed in the time since this building was occupied. And then there's the buildings that everybody can agree on that have to be saved. And they're generally because they're beautiful right? and they have something visually stunning about them. But some of our factories and the stories that they tell and the land and the space that they occupy, that they're actually not beautiful at all. They're generally pretty ugly and they sit there. So what happens with those buildings too? And then there's the decisions that should be made on these spaces. Where do they come from? You know, Predominantly at the moment, it comes from developers. So what role should communities have on key spaces, whether they be factories or whether they be old theatres? I remember listening, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Virginia was talking about how whether there had been a missed opportunity with Melbourne to have not preserved all that heritage architecture that you had all these years ago and build the CBD maybe a slightly adjacent like you might see in, in other world cities where you have the old quarter where you've preserved a level of, of, of the city and then you've built the modern city as such in another part. Is that the, the best mm. way? You, you, know, you look at public housing, that salt and pepper approach of having not just... Uh, hubs and sections where you'd have public housing, you filter the public housing throughout. Maybe it's better to have a mix of the two. It doesn't seem like there's a clear, obvious answer to to any of these questions. And then there's regional Victoria and the stories that our old buildings tell us as well. We both have a strong connection to Bendigo. And if you look at the architecture of Bendigo, say versus the architecture of Maui, where I just spent time as well, very, very different. But you even see the beautiful architecture of Bendigo literally being boarded up in some periods. Yeah, the Pall Mall, that kind of beautiful main entrance when you get into to Bendigo, covered up. And it's, um, I was just looking at some photos while I was sitting here and it was, you know, different um, retail businesses there that you've got jewellers and whatnot signs and cash converter type signs on the front of it. And that open discussion about how is it time, you know, should this be being pulled down and, and restored or some of the hidden gems like the Beehive building in Bendigo, you know, these 19, 1800s architecture. And the city has looked to restore that to, it was the old mining um, mining exchange, 
beautiful building but disbanded and left for a really long time. It has had a, a renovation in it. And just looking at the photos now, it's beautiful, The what, it, yeah. what it's been preserved into. There's nothing like walking into, I remember walking into, I think it was like the equivalent of a $2 shop, you know, one of those cheap junk shops. And all of a sudden I looked up and I realised I was in this incredible old theatre and here I was buying something for book week for my daughter, some cheap, nasty plastic thing. And it's everywhere. So that's what we're looking at today. The stories that the old buildings and the abandoned buildings, what story they tell of your town and what should we do with buildings, especially when they're at the end of their life? Should they be preserved? Should they be redeveloped? Or sometimes should they simply be removed? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne, your co-host today, Brett Worthington, political reporter joining you from ABC Canberra, although you've lived all around Victoria (laughs) pretty much, Brett, haven't you? I think I've covered all parts, uh, except for the east, but um, otherwise I've had a stint everywhere. <laughs> Brett Patman is an urban explorer. He's a photographer and he's the founder of Lost Collective Australia. Brett, in the work that you do as a photographer, you would know probably more abandoned buildings and sites than anyone. And in particular, I was really drawn to one that you took a photograph of, which was the old denim factory in Yarraville. What draws you to these old buildings and these old sites? Um, so, good morning, by the way. Um, so, the Bradmill Denim in particular, that was the first abandoned building I ever shot. And um, I guess the reasoning behind that was just I could see it on the freeway all the time when I was passing it on my way to and from work. And um, I just thought it would – I was just at the beginning of my photography journey and I thought the subject matter would just be something good. I was looking for something interesting that wasn't, you know, city skylines and – um, coastal settings and whatnot and it just looked like it would be really fascinating to explore and take photos and it just instantly as soon as I walked in there there was um, this I don't know like sense of wonder just like oh wow what was this place you know what what went on here what were what was it like when people were just going about their mm-hmm. daily mundane tasks and just trying to sort of imagine that and then looking at the photos that I took and trying to sort of, you know, picture it in there. And, um, yeah, that's kind of where it all sort of started for me. And um, it was like an instant uh, obsession almost. Brett, has there been any common threads that you've noticed in the the different sites that you've gone to and how they've decayed or deteriorated over time? The smell. (laughs) The smell is definitely, yeah, it's identical at every abandoned building. And strangely enough, when I'm driving up Missenden Road past uh, the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, that smell comes from somewhere as well. And I don't know where, but um, I think there's some kind of industrial hospital laundry or something. But, um, yeah, there's definitely the smell. Um, uh, it, it is, beyond that, it, it, it is quite different from building to building, yeah. The idea of turning them into something else, how do you feel about that? I mean, it's... We can't just leave these sites as much as it would be incredible and fascinating for photographers like yourself to leave them in place and to be able to go through and be able to picture what life was like there. We can't actually leave them deserted and abandoned, can we, for a multitude of reasons. And it actually has a, an impact on that community if, if buildings are just left to rot, so to speak. But then the solution can't always be a simple, well, let's turn them into apartments. So what do we do with these buildings, do you think? Yeah, you're right. And that's a good point, actually. And it's something that I've spoken about a few times before that, you know, abandoned buildings are great, especially for people like me who, you know, actively explore these places. Um, But the, the thing is, they're not really useful to anyone else. And especially if they've got some kind of historical significance behind them, that's, you know, it's, it's worth cherishing and remembering. I think that when they can be converted into something useful, that, you know, the community actually benefits from that. That's probably a best case outcome um, other than being, you know, instead of being knocked down and turned into apartments, as you said. Um, so there's a few good examples of that around. So, you, I mean, if you look at uh, the the tram sheds in Sydney, uh, also in Sydney, carriage works, quite a high profile one at the moment is White Bay Power Station. So that's, mm. you know, it's a, I think it's like 105, maybe more years old now. And it's the only 
real intact example of a power station from that era that it remains in Australia. And that's been going back and forth. Um, you know, it's been inactive for well over 30 years now. And, you know, there was talk a couple of years ago about knocking it down, but it's in the process of actually being, um, I don't think refurbished is the word, but, you know, made safe mm. so that it can actually be converted into a cultural centre. And there will be nothing like that in Australia when that's done. And I think that's, you know, really great to, to see something like that happen to such a an amazing building. Um, so, yeah, I think when they can be given a second lease of life that respects its original heritage, then, yeah, that's that's really good. But, yeah, not everything can be saved. And, and not everything is worth saving either. Well, that's so true as well. Keep taking those photographs, though, so we have documentation. Some tips have come in for you, Brett. Will sent this message to you <laughs> saying, take a trip up and around the old Morwell prison. You'll take some incredible photos. Take your best okay. camera. So there's a little tip for you. Okay. Brett, thank you. Thank you. Brett Patman is an urban explorer, photographer, and the founder of the Lost Collective Australia. This is interesting, Brett Worthington. It says here, <laughs> buildings seem to get discarded and then over time their value is realised again. We should wait before we pull them down, perhaps. And I know the the documentary maker that we're going to speak to in just a moment, I mean, that's what his whole doco is about. It's like we pulled down all, all of these cinemas all around Melbourne because we thought we don't need cinemas anymore. We've got this crazy new invention called television. If only we'd waited. Well, and when Charlton had its floods, um, look, it's probably a decade ago now, Michelle, the Rex Theatre in Charlton is this beautiful old theatre, <clears throat> excuse me, and they did do a proper restoration and renovation as a result of the community effort to fundraise. And you wonder, if you hadn't have had that flood and prompted to have this opportunity, would that have happened? Would it? Would people have been able to see the value in it before that disaster struck? I, I'm not sure, yeah. but it was a real value that it added to the community in getting it done afterwards. This is another message that says it's important to preserve these old sites, maybe put up plaques telling their story and their history. Let's not destroy them. Trevor's call from St Kilda. Morning, Trevor. Hey, just two points I want to quickly make. One is that some of these buildings that are going up to replace these old buildings have actually got shorter projected lives than the buildings that they're replacing. So That's interesting. You know, the, and the other thing is I don't believe we should be allowing these buildings to get into a state of disrepair where the decision needs to be made to we can't keep it, so it needs to be pulled down. Whose responsibility is that, Trevor, do you think? Because if someone, I always look at the big sites like that too and think, how much money yep. do you have to have, right, that you are just letting something go into disrepair like that and not do anything with it, even not selling it off, even not saying that that's necessarily the right thing to yep. do, but to just let it sit there and okay. rot. A building like the Copy Palace that was in Carlton, how much would we love to have paid to have kept that building in place. Uh, I think everybody knows the Coffee Palace in Carlton. Just a beautiful, beautiful building that got torn down for the Olympics. And I feel like, Trevor, thank you. I feel like, Brett, we go in waves, don't we, as a society of fighting to save buildings? And the thing that jumped out to me in looking at Brett's, the other Brett's photos is there's this post-apocalyptic vibe that you see with them. And I wonder, is that just we're all watching Chernobyl on The Last of Us and we're projecting onto these images things that we're seeing in, in broader pop culture? And does that affect the romanticism that we bring into these sites when we see them? And maybe if we weren't seeing those those shows where that kind of um, style is being depicted, would we be having such an emotional response to it or would we be saying, this is a bit of a mess and we need to tear it down? Yeah. Menka's called from Sydenham. Good morning. Morning. Um, yeah, I would like to say it uh, depends on what the three categories. The one which is must can be done by government budget or public budget or public fund. Second, where we can, you know, where it is okay to not let go, but it's okay, medium kind of uh, buildings mm -hmm. where we can ask for private investors. So and the factories you said in the Moi, I know because I have been Moi, I have connection with Moi as well. So I have seen those factories. My brother-in-law used to work there. So I can say we can give it to a private investor if somebody is interested and preserve the thing and make it useful for public. Yeah. But yeah, public funds are not enough to, I know our emotions are attached to the buildings. 
but we can't invest all the funds for preserving them. So we need to ask for other investors as well. I, I think, think so. you're right, Minka. I think we do have to ask, and that difference, Brett, between private and public. So the 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 involvement from the state government, if a building needs to be pulled down, repaired, restored, but then what's done with it, the public needs to have a say, and it should it be for the public. Yeah, and I, I think in London, the Battersea Power Station, it's right on the Thames there. It is, it's undergoing this huge modern renovation. There's cinemas, there's malls, there's dining. It's an incredible public space. But you think, do you need to be the city the size of London with the amount of tourism that's passing through to have a population that's able to make this viable? That gets both private and public interested. How could you do that in a place which is much smaller and doesn't have that population and tourism base? It's potentially a harder one. But so maybe Melbourne has more opportunities than some of the more regional areas might be able to, to afford. Suzanne's in Seaford and she says, what about all those old buildings that were demonised and then they were replaced by modern monstrosities? So many old buildings in Hobart are still standing. So is there a building, is there an abandoned building or an old building where you live? Do you think something needs to be done with it or should it just be simply replaced or restored? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. So in the lead up to the Olympic Games when we were inviting the world in, there was a lot of discomfort. Melbournians as a whole suffered from cultural cringe. Melbourne wanted above all to be a modern city and being modern meant having modern buildings. And there's a message here that says everyone should see the lost city of Melbourne and it's happening all again now and it's trashing our city. We will speak to the director of that documentary in just a moment. Rochelle Hunter, Brett Worthington with you. We're talking about those old buildings, those either abandoned buildings or those buildings that tell a story. And Brett, they don't have to be the pretty ones, do they? They can be the factories. They can be, I guess, the working horse of that town. I mean, you think about... Geelong, you think about Broadmeadows and the automotive industry, what needs to be done with those buildings? And a way of capturing this, that city's, those cities' history is one of an industrial base and there's a beauty that potentially lies within that uh, industrial space, but also it's a bigger space. So you maybe have different opportunities that you can do with it that in the city you wouldn't have the amount of space that some of these former factories would have been, would have been taking up. Andrew's in, oh, beautiful Warrigal. Morning, Andrew. You would have had a glorious oh. sunrise this morning. Glorious sunrise every day in Warrigal, the Mediterranean of Victoria. <laughs> so is there a building in Warrigal that you think needs to be protected? Oh, I think the Bonlac uh, Butter Factory there on Queen Street is just a gem of a building. There's a, a, a massive steel structure, which probably by most people's definition would need to come down, but there's two magnificent brick buildings next to it, which... Yeah, you know, in my my opinion, would make a great museum. Um, Warrigal's one of the homes of cycling in Victoria. Put a bike museum in there. Mm. Yeah, you know, something like that. And there's a great spot for a cafe on the corner building. It, it's really got a lot of potential. But what that does for country towns is it brings people into the town. And if you're a grey nomader and you you come in, you you come in, you you go and buy a buy a bit of something for lunch. You fill up your tank with fuel, it adds to the economy of a country town. You need and to work in tourism, towns, Andrew. <laughs> oh, oh, well, look, I, you know, I, I've been, I've just been up in Merino and Castanon and Coleraine. There are old buildings all over the state that need doing it. One of the pubs in Coleraine, it's a massive uh, red brick building, a huge hotel. It's closed. Someone said it's on the market. Yeah. I was told this, I don't know for a fact, but a bloke in the street said you'd get it for about four hundred thousand dollars. Wow. I can see and your future for you, Andrew. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's one of a public and well, and that, and that butter factory that you talk about, it is beautiful. And I don't know if you know it, Brett Worthington, but it's smack bang in the middle of town as well. So these are prime real estates for regional towns. And that, that right in the heart of, of a city centre, you think of like in, in Colac, you've got um, dairy factories that formerly there. Buller has still managed to preserve some levels of facade and then have an operating factory as well. It's interesting how maybe in some other cities, you've got that tourism element where they are 
you know, places like Porto, where they're preserving those older facilities to draw tourists there while doing the main production uh, mm. elsewhere and keeping that there so you can bring the tourists in. And there's nothing like a town that's entirely preserved. So in central Viking, you would know this because, as I said, back into Bendigo, but when you drive through and you go through the little town of Ironbark, for example, and it's like it's stood still in time, you know, all of the bullnose verandas and the 360-degree verandas on, on some of the pubs. And there is something spectacular about driving through a, a small community like that that hasn't been touched. And a, and a lot of the times you need to either live there or know someone there to know even to, to look to for that. Like, yeah. is that the thing that we're selling to the world to come and come to Melbourne and get, jump in a car and travel for an hour and a bit and you'll be able to see this? I don't imagine that it is. And is there an opportunity there that, you know, different tourism bodies, maybe Andrew's going to get that job. But, you know, there's a chance that there's a way in which you've got to sell this message, not just to locals, but to the rest of the world. Dr. James Lesh is a historian and academic at Deakin University and he's the author of Values in Cities, Urban Heritage in the 20th Century Australia. Do we value our urban and our regional buildings and heritage, James? Morning, Rochelle. Morning, Brett. I think we do. And I think as a community, we've had this increasing consciousness and desire to value our buildings and, and value our places and value our cities and, and, and value our history in turn as well. James, I live in, in Canberra, so the, the term ex govy is used a lot to describe the housing here. They're about as insulated as a tent. Um, and so you can understand why people might be promoting them as knockdown, rebuild and come in and build a much more sustainable, uh, much more insulated house. Can you see that balancing act that people must be navigating to determine, should I be preserving or should I be looking to start afresh? Absolutely. So that's been one of the most, I think, constant challenges and questions, but also I think really the greatest opportunity in the past and also now is how we make our existing buildings, our existing places work for the future in a sustainable fashion. There's nothing more sustainable for our environment than to to keep our old buildings and modernise them. Demolishing is, is far worse for the environment. Rather, I think incremental environmental upgrades and those which are really supported by by property owners, supported by uh, by progressive government authorities, is really the way forward in terms of our old buildings, our abandoned buildings, our heritage buildings, our environment more generally. I wonder whether certain regions, towns, communities do it better than others. It's interesting that Geelong has come up quite a few times on text messages here, but people have got opposing opinions on this. So here's just two. One says Geelong has a lot of conversions in recent years. The former Geelong Wool Mill is now the home of the Little Creatures Brewery. It's been converted. The mill markets in North Geelong, great use of old buildings, very happy with these conversions and plenty more to come, hopefully. But then on the flip side, Lisa's also in Geelong and she says they've been modernising old beautiful buildings in Geelong and putting in modern glass square ugly high rises on top. The Carlton Hotel was stunning Art Deco pub inside and out. It was destroyed, but only the facade was kept. Just another few few doors down, the RTA, they're both ugly. You're not really going to keep everybody in a community happy with a, a refurbish or a redesign, James, are you? No, never. Absolutely not. And I think that's that's why I love this area. I love heritage and I love questions of adaptive reuse versus more traditional, I suppose, conservation in situ and bringing in different people, bringing in the community, bringing in architects and designers, bringing in historians and planners and all kind of coming together to try and work on, on something, the best outcome for a particular site that we, that we can in the context. I think, though, what's, what everyone in those text messages are kind of getting to as well is that design and heritage and environment are kind of all coming together now in really interesting ways, in ways they haven't in the past. And in ways, I think they're going to get closer and closer in the future as we, as we figure out what to do and, and how to transition all the stuff that we've built uh, in Australia in recent decades um, into the future as well. James, to what extent do you think um, Australians are just too accustomed to having too much space and we're wanting to demolish smaller things and expand the footprint and build newer things that are much bigger and more cavernous and, and open? And it's just we don't have an appreciation for understanding how you can use space or, or maximising space that, that we have with a site. Yeah, ex exactly. And when, it, when it, we're talking about increasing densification, increasing migration, bringing people to live in the uh, inner rings of, of our cities, whether it's a regional city or whether it's in Melbourne, it means we've got all these new sorts of design and heritage responses. And we have to start asking ourselves, well, what 
are the most significant historically significant community significant environmental significant and most beautiful aspects and how can we incorporate that into achieving well a range of urban outcomes so seeing i think uh opportunities rather than constraints from heritage and and from what we have in front of us but it's it's complicated it's very and it's not only complicated, it's expensive as well. We'll have a chat to Francis, who's called in in just a moment. So, Francis, stay with us. But there's a message here from Jenny in Hepburn Springs, and it says, try restoring a 165-year-old stone building. It's the old macaroni factory in Hepburn Springs. It's currently going through restoration, and the hurdles are starting to be ridiculous. Also, the cost. Perhaps this is why these buildings aren't being restored. Do we need to look at incentives and costs or tax breaks or whatever it may be, James, so that people like Jenny do restore the old macaroni factory? Because I want to hang out at the old macaroni factory. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> the short answer is, is absolutely yes. And when when a property owner is is working with heritage and building great design, they're not just doing it for the bottom line, they're also doing it for the community at large. And so we've got this question of how can we, I think, reform our heritage system? Um, and the, and the, there's been some inquiries into that recently. But I think what's really disappointing is in the last state budget, the Victorian government actually axed the Victorian Living Heritage Fund. And so the money that was available for state heritage is no longer there. So instead, I think instead of cutting those funds or, or you know, refunding that program again, which has generated such fantastic outcomes across Victoria, but also building that into local planning, into tax incentives. The United States, for example, gives lo- really large tax incentives to to um, property owners who, who conserve historic buildings. Mm. And we've never really pursued that. So there's, there's plenty of opportunity for reform, but it's hard and it's expensive right now. Just hang with us for a little moment, James. Francis is called from Calcalo. Francis, what are you doing? Yes, uh, hi, Rochelle and uh, the team there. So I have acquired with my uh, family um, an 1860 uh, church. It was a Presbyterian church that was uh, built in Calcalo. Um, it was a church until the 1930s, 20s, 30s. Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of the history, and then it was converted into a house or a home around the 19, uh, 1990s. Unfortunately, it was left to rot the last 20 years, and we are converting it into a mental health wellness center. What, what made you take that on? <laughs> she well, says through it. I'm calling it. I'm, I'm calling it my legacy for Victoria. I'm originally from in, uh, Africa. Then I live in uh, England. I've been here. I say only 36 years. So I've known you, Rochelle, from day one oh, on the radio of, uh, from ABC. So yes, so that's something that we are doing. Uh, but we're going to change the paradigm of mental health into mental wellness. Wow. So we're looking. At into activities such as gardening from the garden from to the table, um, bike riding in the area, artwork, Aboriginal art, um, really uh, looking at a, a different way of people looking after their mental health. Isn't that incredible? And when you think about a church, you know, how it was originally built and it was designed, churches are there for the community to bring people together, to celebrate, to grieve, to do all of the things, to look after our spiritual well-being. And that's almost how you're restoring it, Francis. Absolutely. And so I'll be inviting Rochelle to okay. come in and do your program from All right. there in Calcutta. <laughs> yeah, you had me at Day Spa. <laughs> Francis, congratulations. James, just finally back to you. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? But that's Francis's drive and determination and spirit and just general fabulousness that's doing that. Does it need to be, I don't know, legislated in some way? I, I just I love to hear stories of when communities are coming together at heritage places and working on them, putting their hearts into them, their time, and then creating incredible places to for the community or for themselves for the future. And I, I think there's much greater opportunity to do that for us to come around our historic buildings together and and work them up into fantastic community spaces. And uh, I, I just I love to hear that story, and I want to I want to visit too. Once <laughs> It's definitely going to keep you busy with all these projects popping up. Dr. James Lesh, uh, historian and academic from Deakin University, thank you for joining us on the Conversation Hour. Thanks for having me.
There's this message here that says Spencer Street Station was a good save. That was. Remember the old, and I love that they still call it Spencer Street Station too because I still call it. I would still call it that too. (laughs) (laughs) But remember, it was kind of dark and dingy and rabbit warrens and you wouldn't want to walk under there on your own at night or even during the day. Sometimes it smelt bad. Everything, there was nothing great about it. And it's just interesting how developments polarise at the time and then maybe with time they age differently. I think at the time people were wondering, was the roof on that a great idea? You look at the way Federation Square was originally uh, received and now you see, you know, there's great shots of the Matildas playing this week and you see all these people gathered at Federation Square and maybe it is a a concrete jungle, but also it's been a space of bringing the community together for some of the nation's big moments. Cherries in Melbourne, good morning. Oh, hello. Um, Yeah, I wanted to uh, talk about a little town called Corowa up on the Murray River. And it's an amazing little streetscape. As you walk up and down the street on either side, all the buildings are like Heritage or um, Federation or Art Deco and all the different varieties and types of pubs. It's quite an incredible little town. And I just think about how people travel to, like, New Zealand to see these wonderful little Art Deco towns, and we've got one sitting there. But in amongst there, there's this old cinema called the Rex Cinema, and it's just now a cheap shop, like you were talking about before. But it's still got the original Art Deco um, uh, uh, um, curtains and the painting and everything, and it's just sitting there. beautifully but it's all full of dust and cheap stuff and um i just think gosh wouldn't that be lovely i don't know to be something that would bring people to the main street so then they could go to the club club the restaurant it changes everything doesn't it and sometimes cherry you're right and it just takes the initiative of say francis and then you get that snowball effect and then people get confidence to do something else in the town or if there's a, a reason, Brett, to go to that town and then everybody benefits. And particularly if one can see how it works and that prompts another and a second and a third and then suddenly you are getting that, that critical mass of enough facilities. One facility is not going to be enough to draw people for the weekend, right? And you're going to be restricted on, say, the New South Wales-Victoria border. That's a much bigger trip than going to Castlemaine uh, for, for a day trip from Melbourne. But with multiple centres, you get that opportunity to really grow that, that tourism angle. And, and heaven forbid, it'd be a good facility for local people as well. We talk a lot about bringing tourists, but also taking to the regions um, some of the beautiful architecture that they shouldn't have to travel away to, to get an opportunity to experience. And how that changes your life and just your general feeling. You know, when you're just surrounded, the difference between having an old abandoned factory that's just been left to, to rot and, and fall apart and it's chicken wire all around it and whatnot versus buildings that are cared for and loved and restored, it changes your life, your day-to-day life. It changes everything about your life. I mean, there's a taxi from Jay. It says, facade-ism isn't a renovation or repurpose. It's basically just a messy demolition with extra steps. Everything on the inside is gone forever with a soulless shell on the outside. It's okay for factories, but not other buildings. Plenty of times today we've spoken about cinemas and theatres as well, but is there an abandoned building in your town and what's the story that it tells and how should we look after these buildings when they get to the end of their life? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Brett Worthington joining you from ABC Canberra talking about those old buildings and what should we do with them and speaking of cinemas and I remember this, this is a text that's coming and I totally remember how controversial this was. Don't forget in South Yarra years ago when the Jam Factory was redesigned into the cinemas, remember that? I mean the fact, we just call it the Jam Factory now and actually forget that it was once <laughs> a Jam Factory. A Jam Factory. <laughs> <laughs> actually made jam. But anyhow, I also live in a double brick 80-year-old block. The fact that the building inspectors have been and it's been reduced is scary. Some of these new apartment buildings look very shaky to me. The material used today are different to those earlier buildings. And that's something that you touched on, Brett, as well. It's like an old 80-year-old block house. It's probably double brick. It would keep warm and cool. They were designed differently, but it is hard to do things now to modernise them. 
And particularly if you if you say it's a house, the the notion of renovating is sometimes more costly than the mm-hmm. than the knocking down and rebuilding. If someone's looking at the bottom line, then you can understand why someone might be drawn in a certain direction. But it is you wonder the gutting of your city by you know a place like Canberra. It was built for to be the, the home of government, and these ex-govy buildings, which are the Canberra red brick, there's a whole lot of rules around fences and what you can and can't have. That's where this city came from in, in a lot of regards in terms of its development side. And if you are seeing them them stripped out and built with these kind of soulless, you know, not even that interesting um, yeah. houses, what does that do to change the nature of the city as well as how, how we view it. I just love that they're called ex-govy. It's just <laughs> such a good term. Gus Berger is the director of the Lost City of Melbourne. It's been mentioned multiple times and we've played a little bit of the audio from that documentary. He's also the owner and operator of the Thornbury Picture House. Gus, we've, I guess, almost could have made a list 10 times over of the amount of cinemas and theatres that people have mentioned today. And your documentary which was self-funded, looked at the demise of our picture palaces in our city. Where did your passion come from for this? Um, oh, good morning, Rochelle and Brett. Um, I guess, um, you know, being a, a cinema operator and um, I've always had an interest in cinemas and theatres and I've always loved going to the movies um, as a kid and um, and then that developed into running an independent cinema. So... Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess that it's a, a, a combination of, you know, loving those old picture palaces and cinemas and, and being a big fan of film and um, and also heritage buildings as well. So I think that all sort of came together um, in a, in uh, in one big form of, you know, wanting um, to learn more about the cinemas that we've lost in Melbourne and what happened to them and, yeah, kind of celebrate them as well. Gus, what is it about the the architecture of these buildings that make it such a common one that is renovated from what we've heard from people calling in? It's been warehouses, factories and cinemas as the ones that are getting restorations. Is there something about the romanticism of them that, that is leading to, to these being worked on? Look, I think it's a combination of they, they do have um, a lot of um, architectural value. I mean, they were built um, at a time where you're kind of, um, bringing the world into um, the the suburbs of Melbourne, for example, and obviously it happened all around the world. But um, so they were built, you know, as these sort of grand picture palaces to celebrate um, this new form of cinema that was coming into into Australia. So they were built uh, a little bit sort of over the top at the time, um, and they had, were built with a lot of money behind them. They were built by the by the you know the studios and the film distributors. So they wanted to create this sort of aura of um, you know you're coming somewhere special. So I think that that's originally why they um, they look so great and why we wanted to keep them. But I think um, there's also a value of um, what they brought to the communities and what they brought to people. And what I've found talking to people after screenings in my film is, you know, everybody's got a story mm-hmm. about a cinema in Melbourne. Um, you know, and obviously I can only really talk about um, Melbourne specifically, but, um, you know, people are going to see the films. They've got these memories of going with their, their husbands or wives or taking their kids to go and see some early Disney films or um, they've got memories of going with their aunt to films and going first dates and... So there's a really strong connection that people have, particularly with cinemas, and they were a real community hub. And when um, Melbourne had, you know, cinemas in every every suburb, they yeah. it was, you know, and we're talking about, you know, the the 20s and 30s and 40s, where pre-TV, I mean, it was the thing to do every single Friday or Saturday night. People went to the movies. So there's a lot of um, value uh, and memory preserving them and just finally gus there was a text before that i read out saying and and raving about your documentary which is incredible because it's actually gut-wrenching to watch and there was a period where we thought you know we need to make melbourne modern and let's get rid of these big over-the-top elaborate cinemas we don't need these Mm. anymore and of course architecture goes in waves and in trends but this text also said i fear that it's happening again do you have that same fear yeah, I mean, I think it is. It it's never stopped happening. It's just, um, it's just that we've kind of managed to hold it in check um, to a degree. Like I think that prior to getting proper um, heritage um, legislation in the seventies, there was, you know, there was nothing to stop these buildings coming down, and we've got a lot more 
uh, regulations and rules around um, what we can and can't demolish. But it's kind of such a grey area and, um, um, you know, even it's just it, the, the balance isn't necessarily always there. And I think that, um, you know, I've seen examples um, where the community have been against um, the demolition of the buildings, the locals have been and the council are against it. Um, and you go against the developers in a, um, you know, at a place like DCAT and, you know, it's all about bringing lawyers and, you know, and it costs money. So mm. it's a really, um, it's a hard fight to, you know, it's a difficult battle to face because, um, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of forces at play. So I think it, I think things, you know, I think it is still happening. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, it's just, you know, it, it's almost like a death from a thousand cuts in a way because oh, things happen really slowly and then, yeah, and then it's quick. the whole landscape of a street has changed. Yeah. Well, Gus, it's been a real treat to be able to hear some of the interviews from your documentary. Really appreciate you joining us on the conversation now. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Gus Berger is the director of the Lost City of Melbourne, that self-funded documentary. This it says, we chose a heritage house in Richmond to restore. This is because of my love for architecture. We've spent 3.2 years in town planning in Richmond. We now have months of consultation with engineers. Three of my neighbours have pulled the pin and they've moved out of Richmond due to what we've gone through. I'd love to call, but I could go on and on. And it's interesting too, but it's, this is not just a city or a regional. It seems across the board. And there's a mention here, and it's, again, it's, cinemas and theatres, but then there are those big workplaces that held a town together. And Glenda's talking about, in Warrnambool, the Fletcher Jones factory. Now, that's up for sale, she says, at the moment. So when you think about the role that the Fletcher Jones factory played for that town of Warrnambool, I mean, every my school uniform, and I was in Mowie, was a, we knew it was Fletcher Jones, right? <laughs> so what happens, that's a, a department store. How important is that? And, and and who gets to decide on that importance and 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 what its future is? I, I think as as we heard a little bit there from Gus, you could go into any VCAT hearing any day, or go into any level of state government. You guarantee there'll be a fight over this happening somewhere. Kim's in Thornbury. Good morning. Hi, I have a, an opposite story for the modernisation, and that is the faux or the false. Uh, uh, retro fitting of beautiful old deco buildings. I drive from Melbourne to Adelaide quite a lot and uh, regional Victoria and South Australia are going through, well, have been going through a travesty of putting bullnose verandas on beautiful old art deco buildings to make them look more oldie-worldie. So please <laughs> So stop, no, knowing stop your period at least and understanding the period that you're restoring. Absolutely. And it's just a shocker to see these lovely old deco buildings that get covered and, and sort of faked up to look oldie-worldie because they're not oldie-worldie enough, which is real shame. Kim, thank you. Curran Burroughs mentioned here, it says it's now a tourist destination with many sh- shops and cafes restored. It's a sad week this week, of course, though, for the community there in Curran and the much-loved community members. I hadn't been to Curran in years. My dad used to live there and I went there for probably the first time in 20 years. And Jane is right. The, the main town, the, the streetscape is all restored. It's just beautiful. John, who's in Ararat. Hi, John. Hi. How are you, Richelle? Good. What did you want to say? Um, I'm uh, wanting to talk about some really spectacular heritage buildings in Ararat, which uh, is consisting of the old Ararat Mental Hospital, which is now or was later called Aradale. It's a um, it's a spectacular complex uh, of buildings uh, with over 600 rooms in the whole complex, set on five acres. And half of the five-metre-high wall originally built to stop the patients getting out is still standing. Um, we do tours there on uh, Wednesdays and Sunday mornings, and um, uh, they also do ghost tours there on oh. Friday and Saturday nights. <laughs> so so you, you take the tours. So you're a volunteer, I, John. Yes, I take tours, yes. So um, um, we have a lot of people come, and when they leave, they're all very enthusiastic. Two-hour tour, but uh, it's chock-a-block. John, I've been to an event in that building at night time and it is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's important well, to have volunteers like yourself though, John, because I guess those tours, that's a part of keeping that heritage alive, isn't it? It certainly is, yes. It keeps it under people's nose. Um, everybody leaving, you know, the, the, 
the usual thing they say is, you know, there has to be something done with this. But, of course, the real question is what use can you put it to in a, in a country town? Uh, but um, it's certainly spectacular, to say the least. And we also have other buildings here. Like um, we also take tours of the old Ararat Jail, which is now, which was later called Jay Ward. And it was part of Aradale. It was uh, a, a ward of Aradale housing violent male patients. Uh, uh, it closed in 1991. Aradale closed in 1993. John, thank you. And thanks for volunteering your time. Linda's in Paran. She says, we are losing some beautiful heritage houses, though we need to provide more housing. But there's things like gorgeous Queen Anne houses with Tourette's and beautiful gardens. They've all been replaced by anonymous apartments and townhouses all around High Street and Burke Road in Glen Iris. Older houses along the main road being replaced all the time as they're being earmarked for development. It used to be a joy to walk or drive around, but not now. You need to find that balance, though, Brett, don't you, between providing houses and some of these big old homes that Linda's talking about. These are homesteads, right? These are huge. So you could house one family or you could house 20 families or 40 families. And particularly when you hear the debates that we hear on the daily, particularly uh, here in Canberra, about the the lack of supply and what role federal and state governments need to be doing, um, you can understand how some people might be frustrated if you've got uh, one family taking up a space that could take up a lot more more, more families. Uh, it's obviously going to be an emotional issue and, and one that you know we elect people to determine what the best process is and they're the ones that are going to have to come up with some answers pretty soon, you'd suspect. Louise in Elwood says, my heart breaks every time I go past what was the Federal Hotel on the corner of Burke and King Street, a magnificent building replaced by just a nondescript blob. It's criminal, says Louise. Sarah Aldridge is a UK registered architect. She's also the secretary of the Regional Architect Association. Sarah, there has been a lot of love for some of the architecture that is being preserved, but not necessarily celebrated in regional Victoria. Do we need to do that better do you think um good morning rochelle and, and good morning brett um i will always advocate for celebrating good architecture i think um it's it's i kind of i feel like i've just been listening to some of your callers and, and speakers and you know this this idea that people it, it's really fundamental to people's sense of place and you know sense of memory and sort of childhood memories and family um kind of connections and things like that so I kind of feel, you know, there's there's a lot of sadness, you know, a lot of callers are expressing sadness over um, buildings that have disappeared or buildings that have been um, maybe um, in their in their view, um, maybe ruined or, or not not preserved enough. Um, and I think that's where the the value of these buildings lies is in this sort of connection um, with sense of place. And you know, I also think there's there's no point in um, keeping buildings just for the sake of keeping them if you know if a use can't be found for them or you know they really have reached the end of their life which is is very few buildings i have to say normally there's there's something you can do um but again it's it's kind of important that these buildings are um kind of adapted to to be useful in in contemporary life because that's when they they remain loved you know they're obviously loved in the past but they remain loved into the future and that's where they become valued and and add to the sort of vibrancy of these towns and i don't think anyone wants to either live or visit a place which you know might have sort of beautiful buildings but is completely dead because no one can kind of use them or you know it kind of um isn't economically viable so i think there is a real um there isn't there is a real importance um attached to you know our sort of heritage buildings um, and all, but also there's a there's a real need and a skill involved in making sure that they are adapted and you know preserved and adapted and, and changed you know the ability to change them um, sensitively and intelligently to make sure that they are you know used and loved well into the future. Sarah, is there a noticeable difference in how buildings are being designed today with a lifespan in mind as to mm-hmm. say how they might have been a hundred years ago, fifty years ago? Uh, I think it's something that maybe I don't know how much it was considered a hundred years ago. I think I think it was more a sort of needs-based process, um, maybe than now. I think now we're much more aware of you know ideas around sustainability, and and you know as one of your previous um, speakers spoke about was you know the the best thing you can do is uh, is I think it's James was saying the best thing you can do is not to um, knock a building down you know if, if there's a way of reusing it that that's the best way um environmentally you know the best outcome environmentally um 
And I think that that's really true. And, and in a similar vein, when we build today, the best way of building a sustainable building is to build a building which is flexible. So it can, you know, its use can change or its owner or occupier can change. Um, and also that it's built to last because yeah. um, the buildings that we find people come to us and say, oh, you know, we've got this building, but um, we're kind of thinking of pulling it down. is buildings that either perform very badly. So thermal performance is one of those where, you know, buildings, buildings are either, you know, baking hot, freezing cold and never kind of pleasant to be in. Or that they're just kind of so badly built that it, yeah. it is, as I think James was saying, more expensive to to put them right Such than it is to, to knock them down and start again. So I would always advocate for quality <laughs> buildings. And I know that, you know, the problem, the problem is expense. You know, that's always, you know, if you're a developer, if you're a home uh, builder, you know, um, there's 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 a limited pot of funds, and you you have to build within your means, kind of thing. But um, and it's definitely all the, the red tape that people have to go through as well, and they end up giving up. Sarah, we're out of time, but thank you, Sarah Aldridge, who is the secretary of the uh, regional real uh, regional architecture association. Let's have a quick chat to Garth, who's in Samar. Where are you, Garth? Garth. G'day. Uh, I'm up in uh, just going through Swan Pool at the moment, up in the northeast. Beautiful. But, uh, but we stayed in Pentridge one night. Um, we came in for the Rhone exhibition, which was in Flinders Street Station, um, and then stayed out at Coburg in the in within the jail walls. And just looking at that place and what it is and what it is yeah. now is amazing. It was really good. Like there's coffee shops, a cinema, a supermarket. Um, yeah, it was just. Did incredible. you actually sleep, Garth? I reckon I slept with one eye open. <laughs> it's a it's a brand new motel. It's like spick and span, but you know, uh, but you look out your window and you're looking down on the exercise yard and things like this, and it's just yeah, it was really good. Must have been nice to know you could leave when you wanted to. Though, Garth. <laughs> That's so yeah, true. Yeah, I, I didn't get to visit, you know, cell block D or whatever it was. <laughs> I know it's such an interesting development. I don't, I don't know if I could do it. I, I, I really don't know if I could do it. There's so many examples here that we haven't been able to get through them. But I mean, and not everybody agrees. We've already heard that today. This one it says there's a two-story, sixty-room hotel being planned for the middle of our historic wine village in Great Western. It's going to be detrimental to the heritage look and feel of Great Western uh, full. It will add 30% to the town's population. Around 10% of the town has objected and it's going to VCAT, says this particular text. There probably isn't a town or a suburb that we haven't mentioned today, Brett Worthington, where somebody wants something to be done or saved or preserved. And it's an important chat to have, isn't it? Absolutely, because it's one that community can play a role in and then you've got that fine balance between the public sector and the private sector and from the story that we're hearing, people seem to like seeing them. It's just someone's got to have the initiative to go out there and and do it and have the financing behind them to get the job done.